Is Jesus non-binary? A viral video by a radical transgender activist on TikTok raises the question that should be a slam dunk for any serious Christian who has read the Gospels. And is it really loving your neighbor as a Christian to go ahead and get the vaccine, even submitting to a vaccine passport, as advocated by a recent article in the Gospel Coalition's Australia page? And how about how about persecution? How should Christians think about persecution as they're seeing a failed strategy in Afghanistan in further encroachment on liberties here in the United States? We discuss all of this and more in a conversation with Pastor David Englehart on the Standing for Freedom podcast starting now. Hey, and joining us on the Standing for Freedom podcast is my friend, pastor who reaches the man on the island, Pastor David Englehart of King's Church there in New York City. Pastor David, welcome. Hey, Ryan, good to be with you this morning. Always fun to chat um, with my Virginian friend. <laughs> well, I'm man, I'm thrilled as always. By the way, do you like that? You're actually reaching uh, people for the gospel on an island. The islands, um, yes. Is there a psalm about that? You probably know. I, I don't. I don't. Read well, I, w- <laughs> I, don't <know. laughs> I would say this. I'm joking. I'm joking. Oftentimes, you know, we have this discussion that all people are without excuse, right? Romans one tells us right. that. But and in, in there, in right. there's always that hypothetical. What about that person who lives on the island who's never heard the gospel right. before? They're not referring exactly. to Manhattan, exactly. but there you are. No, 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 no. Yeah, they've heard of everything in Manhattan. That's right. That's right. Well, I just want to talk about all things kind of current, and uh, certainly yeah. from a pastor's perspective, why this is so important, um, you know, to talk about not only what's going on inside the church, we're going to deal with that here in just a, a few minutes, but just what's happening on the national scene. Um, there is a kind of a march that's taking place, obviously the march to the institutions, but then through culture and then government where you're seeing precipitously more and more encroachments on our freedoms, vaccine passports right around the corner. They're opening up international travel. I think the FAA is probably gonna require this pretty soon. Uh, Certainly it can be done without a vote. Um, But uh, you're seeing that. You're also seeing crisis at the Texas border, 15,000 immigrants, mostly Haitian, uh, coming through Mexico across the Rio Grande. Uh, you're also seeing um, what we've all predicted uh, and have been saying was going to happen for the past uh, nine to 10 weeks in Afghanistan, and that is uh, persecution on a scale we haven't seen in a long time. By the way, I don't know the total numbers, but I would venture to say 9-11, uh, over 2,000 uh, American men and women died at, at, at 9-11, the, the you know, uh, World Trade Center is collapsing, adjacent buildings as well. Dare I say, more people will die because of this in Afghanistan, uh, starting with Americans first. Those that partnered with us uh, were thinking of the innocent lives of women and children and men who are there uh, who are yep. non-combatants uh, will suffer because yeah. of this. Well, there's and there's a, there's an even greater um, uh, uh, when you drop a, a pebble in the pond and you have a ripple effect that concurrently you know moves outward. There's that effect that people don't understand at all. I was on the phone yesterday, Ryan, with my friend and uh, missionary support in 
he's over the 1040 region for his organization. I don't want to identify him, but um, they really led the negotiations between Pakistan and Afghanistan to get people out of Afghanistan and into Pakistan. And um, he said, he said, what the world doesn't realize, I mean, obviously there's Christians that will be executed for their faith and there's political dissidents, people that supported the old regime will be executed. But then he said that the, just the reign of terror that the Taliban brings, he told me a story about a, a I can't remember if it was a 13 year old girl or a 14 year old girl that, that the Taliban said, you know, this 60 year old man gets to marry you. Um, and, and she, um, was a part of a Christian family and, and, and you're allowed to convert back to Islam so that, so you don't die. And so there was some kind of process where they were trying not to die, but the, the 14 year old girl was terrified that she was going to have to be essentially raped by this 60 year old man. And, um, and so my friend's organization offered to pay the man off 10 grand. So he would, you know, so he, they, he would give up ownership under the Taliban, under their theocratic system, um, that he had rights to her body and to her, her life and her soul, just because he pointed her out on the street and he's connected with their leadership. So he said, I don't want your money. I just want the girl. So she tried to kill herself because she was terrified as a 14 year old girl would be of being raped and molested by a 60 year old man. Um, in the hospital, he realized, well, she's probably going to, she's probably going to off herself. So I'll take the money. So he was able to be paid off and they're attempting to smuggle her at the border, but there's all kinds of interborder issues with people being, you know, who, who gets bribed to get people in and this super complicated web. But when justice, you know, when, when the righteous rule, the people can breathe a sigh of relief, but when the wicked rule, the people groan with misery and pain. And we just think like, oh my God, my, you know, the AK-47 got left there, or like, I guess the M-16, or, you know, our military, we, we left a lot of money, and what are we doing with, fine, like, uh, like, do you not recognize on a human level the insane tyranny, uh, the, 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 the horror, it's horror movie level uh, uh, tyranny and fear and chaos that will now rule that people, especially, you know, who does Jesus tell us to care for? The vulnerable, the widow, the orphan, certainly the 14 year old girl falls into that category. And we think, you know, we think about policy and, and, and war and Taliban and terrorism and all these kind of things. And that's right. That's correct. Like we had, we did have 209, you know, 2,993 deaths in September 11th, but not just deaths will we have, mm. but that nation will be under a cloud of darkness, like, you know, only equal to somewhere like North Korea. Yeah. And my friend was telling me, he said for the first time in the last, however many years, a hundred years or maybe ever, yeah. Christians were actually allowed um, in the last two or three years to publicly identify as Christians he was going into this. He was going into the country. He had, I think, he had 24 local Afghani's that had given their life to Christ and running house churches, mm. um, plus 18 expat patriot or expat believer missionaries that were in there working with them. And he said the gospel was growing and expanding. And now, you know, it's it's immediate. It's an immediate death sentence. I said to him, "What's?" I said, "What's the hope for Christianity outside of prayer?" He said, "I." He said, "I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that there is one." Because there's not like we're going to sneak in and have an underground church. You get literally immediately beheaded. Um, so you're right. I mean, it's we have we have Christians, Ryan. And I was 
talking a little bit of politics in Sunday morning last Sunday at church. And, you know, I always get a little pushback. I get soft pushback because I'm, I mostly have driven out anybody that's a progressive Christian. But I was getting this pushback like, how, why do we keep talking about p politics from the pulpit? And and the idea is like, well, because 14 year old girls are getting brutalized. That's why we talk about politics. Like, because when the wicked rule, evil spreads and it's and it's it's not just a couple of percent of taxation. It's not just some inflation that's a bump in the economy. It's that when wicked people rule, evil spreads like a virus yeah. far more deadly than the current virus epidemic that we're living under. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% I agree with you. And as Christians, we have to articulate clearly what we believe, why we believe it. Uh, politics follows uh, as a uh, application of the gospel. So when you, when you think about the gospel, this is salvation uh, under no other name but Jesus Christ. He atoned, penal substitutionary atonement. He paid this, uh, the sacrifice for our sins. His righteousness was imputed to us. We receive that by faith. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Once that happens, and once you, you walk, you've been baptized, and you've been discipled uh, in the faith, there's an application. Many people are going to go into everyday life in the public sphere, and they're going to have to, it's the classic, how shall we then live question. Uh, you, you are not going to be a full-time vocational pastor, but you're going to be a minister of the gospel where God has planted you. And as pastors, you have to shepherd your people well to understand the public sphere, uh, that, that third sphere. There's the church, there's the family, and then obviously the state. And people have to participate in that. And part of that political process is understanding the ethics of what is actually happening. Internationally, it's not going well because right here in the United States, we have wicked rulers. And wicked rulers, first and foremost, are uh, are ignorant, and they're ignorant because, surprise, surprise, they are wicked. The, the classic theological category for that is the noetic effects of sin. We are irrational people because of sin. It's, it's that classic kind of Romans 1 where God gives them over to the desires of their, of their flesh, and, and they behave more and more like animals, uh, willing to lie, uh, to deceive and be deceived, uh, deceiving one another, constantly just living out these lies. And so when you look at what's happening in, in, in Afghanistan on the ground, we don't have any kind of romanticized view as Christians, or should not, of at what persecution is. I think Paul in the New Testament, Jesus warns us, Paul warns us, Peter warns us, uh, Peter says, do not be surprised by the fiery trials that come among you, right? As though some strange thing were happening. So we recognize we live right. in an evil, evil fallen world. I think some, though, uh, Pastor David, uh, they, they take that for granted and act as though persecution is the good in and of itself. It, you know, mm -hmm. instead of mm -hmm. what you meant for evil, God meant for good, God redeems yeah. the redeems these yeah. evil moments uh, and, and yeah. turns them. I'd love to comment. Yeah. I'd love to comment on yeah. that. Because I have been I have been struck. I think both you and I this weekend, I'm not sure when this is gonna air, but you and I this weekend will be with March for the Martyrs, yeah. this uh, with Gia Chacon. And um, 
I've been reading the book of Revelation and Revelation chapter six, you have a group of martyrs. And this is in the midst of seals opening and all this incredible apocalyptic landscape. It's easy to pass it because it's only a couple of verses. But the martyrs in heaven, it says, and they cry out to God and they say, God, when will you execute justice and judgment upon our enemies, upon those who have killed us upon the and so it's such a crazy paradox because on the one side you have you know christ as he's a martyr he's dying for for faith and you have stephen as the first disciple martyr you have the spirit of martyr martyrdom in the new testament when they're in the body on a personal level where they're saying god forgive them for they know not that what they do but then when they're joined in heaven on a corporate level that their response is god now I ask you to execute just judgment and justice because of this incredible evil that was done. And you're right, Ryan. Shallow Christianity says, oh, there's going to be martyrdom. There's going to be persecution. It's not a big deal. You know, everybody gets, a, you know, you get an extra gold star in heaven. And the cry of heaven is this is a brutal evil. God, please pour forth your wrath and judgment upon these people that have committed these heinous acts. And God says, I'm going to, son and daughter, I will do that. Just wait a little bit longer until the fullness right, of time and the fullness of martyrs. We hit the number where God is, says, okay, I'm wrapping up this whole thing. And, um, and that's, that's something that's missing in our faith dialogue. That's something that's missing on, you know, in the progressive or even the moderate Christian circles, this idea that God is not just handing out gold stars for, for evil. He's really, really angry, and he has a cup of wrath that is frothing, that Jesus is treading the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the, the judgment of God that's being withheld for a time, so that you know, his kindness leads to repentance. People, don't understand, people take that verse so out of context. This verse actually says it's the kindness of God that holds back the wrath of God and the justice and judgment of God. You can say, well, why? Why? Because God, in order to be God, in order to be perfect, in order to be omnipotent and omniscient and all of these things we attribute to him, he has to also be perfectly just. Yeah. There has to be a perfect moral calculation. And then when evil is done, evil is then recompensed upon the wrongdoer unless that person has a sacrifice mm. for that evil that they've committed. Absolutely. No, th th very, very well said. Um, there, there is in Protestant evangelical circles today, um, you see this with uh, Christianity Today and elsewhere, this kind of um, fixation on a kind of um, false asceticism uh, that privileges suffering is though that in and of itself, now I'm gonna be very, very careful. There is New Testament language that warns us of persecution, uh, but it does not exalt persecution, okay? It prepares us for persecution. Uh, there is an eternal weight of glory, uh, for I don't consider what Paul says, the present sufferings are worthy to be compared, right, to the, the eternal weight of glory, the thing that he is, he is, he's this expectation of something that's gonna happen. But some people wrongly, almost like this false view of masochism, you know, people flogging themselves and committing abuse to their body, they think, oh, I want suffering. I want persecution to come to the shores of the United States. I want us to live like in a third world experience. I'm sorry, guys, that will lead to more devastation, fewer people hearing the gospel, 
Um, yeah, and maybe your own children. Yeah, your own children. Like maybe, the, maybe your own that's children right. are taken because of the chaos and death. That's and right. It's not like, ah, you know, it's just going to make people really love Jesus more. No, what if your own family is That's lost? right. What if the brokenness comes to your own house? That's right. And Jesus said, remember what Jesus said, like, uh, at the end of Matthew, he says, chaos is coming. It's, 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 it's going to come to Jerusalem, and there are those of you who are here that you're going to see it. And if you're found during that time, flee to the mountains. Like, where if you're on the roof, run for your life. Because when chaos comes, we don't just say, oh, yay, it's here. This is going to make Christianity even better. God's like, get out, get out of town because chaos will consume you. Chaos is, is has no discrimination in it. It is willing to conspire. Consumes all that it touches. Yeah, we're having a Babel moment uh, yes. in kind of it, not only in secularism, but that thing that is spilling over into the church. There is kind of this Babel moment as well with progressivism, postmodernism. Mm -hmm. Um, and mm -hmm. everything else, standpoint epistemology, whatever you want to call it, that is spilling over to the church. And there's a confusion about what it even means to be a faithful Christian living in these times. I do want to transition. Um, I want to talk about, because I really, really important, um, we can certainly talk about the border, why nations need borders, why that is a Christian perspective in Scripture, sovereignty of God and the sovereignty of nations. But I, want to, I do want to talk a little bit about the constitutionality, what's happening right now with all of these mandates. I want to be really, really clear to anybody who's listening. I am not anti-vaccination. If that's something you determine to do, uh, I am all about you making the best decision for you, for your family, as an individual, be informed. Not all things are created equal. It's not across the board. Okay, Moderna, Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson. You need to look at all of these things. I am not anti-vax. I am anti-mandate. That's what I'm against. So I don't believe uh, that anyone should enforce that on anybody. And I think there are some people that are at risk. Their doctors have told them that they're at risk and that that would be a bad uh, thing to do. Um, but we're kind of moving in this direction. The Gospel Coalition just had an article that came out uh, just a few days ago. I want to be careful about describing the context correctly. It was not about the United States. It was in Australia, uh, but uh, the Gospel Coalition is based here in the U.S. The editorial board, uh, you know, their their leadership council, everything is structured here in the United States. But they have, um, you know, just like, uh, you know, they have these regional um, publications as well. So they have one for Australia article that was pro-vaccine, uh, pro-vaccine. Let me be careful, mandate. Uh, having a, a, a passport, uh, trying to defend why that is a good and godly action. I want to get your reaction to that. Yeah, I, I, I think that if I, don't, if I remember correctly, Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, the, the, the primary crux is, you know, getting the vaccine is, is following the golden rule. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, Matthew 22, 37, so, 38, right. Yeah, so I had somebody text me this week and a gal that loves Jesus that goes to the church and she said this phrase isn't getting the vaccine loving your neighbor. I mean, mm. how can conservatives, people of a conservative ilk, how can they espouse Christianity and espouse love of neighbor? And how can they also at the same time not get a vaccine that protects their neighbor? And I thought about how brilliant that that 
straw man was and that she wasn't intentionally creating a strong straw man but 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 that's not actually what jesus said ryan he didn't say love your neighbor he said love your neighbor as self so the qualifier to me loving my neighbor the qualifier to me loving my neighbor is me loving my neighbor as I, as a rational being, see the world around me, process the world around me, and do good for myself, and then apply that good to other human beings. The idea that a kid comes up to me and says, I'm a homosexual, or let's, let's take homosexuality off the table because there's all kinds of sexual anarchy in our day. I adhere to one of the many branches of sexual anarchy. And because you have to love your neighbor, you have to love me. And you have to allow me to do whatever I want or have whatever, whatever practice I want to do, whatever it is. And then I have to, and then I respond and I say, no, 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 no. I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. And as myself is a qualifier that I have a rationality that was given to me by God because I was made in the image and nature of God, uh, image and likeness of God. And that with that rationality, I have, you know, this ability to analyze the world around us and find knowledge and discover it and find out if it's true or if it's false, or we call that philosophically epistemology, right? I have this epistemological analytic tool. And then after I've taken my rationality and applied it to knowledge, then I make, you know, these claims about the world and then I try to do my best for myself and then I try to do my best for my neighbor as myself and so the idea that love your neighbor means you have to do whatever I tell you to is a straw man argument that creates this false you know this fictional character that says whatever I want you to do you have to be obedient to because that's loving your neighbor well that's not true because if I find in my conscience before God that the stem cell HEK293 and the stem cell line CERP6 or CEPR6, those are, if I find those as moral violations because of the origins of those stem cell lines, then it would not be loving my neighbor as myself to participate in that. And if I have, you know, if I find out that the, the, the virus needs a booster shot every four months because we're having a, a 40, approximately a 40% drop in efficacy um, in a four month period, then again, I don't think loving my neighbor as myself is, 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 you know, getting vaccines. Now, we have my, some of my best friends got the vaccines and some of my best friends, some others of my best friends didn't. I really don't care, but I am really intense about the autonomy that God gives me as a rational actor That's to right. process and walk through the hey, world. Real you know, quick, let me, let me interject one thing. Yeah. Uh, Ephesians 5, 9. No one hates his own body, but lovingly mm -hmm. cares for it, just as Christ cares for his body, the church of which we are right. part. So when uh, in Ephesians 5, when uh, Paul is saying to the church of Ephesus, this is what it is to submit to one another in, in reverence to Christ and uh, husbands to, to, to love their wives as Christ loves the church. He then defines love as not hating oneself or his own body, but to care for it. And you're exactly right that this, this idea that somehow loving my neighbor is uh, repeating and parroting the lives of whether it be sexual anarchy, 
uh, gender dysphoria. I'm just going to use the pronouns that you prefer, uh, right? I'm going to call Caitlyn Jenner uh, female because Caitlyn Jenner legally changed the name to Caitlyn and also, by the way, prefers to be identified now as a female running for governor, right? No, I'm not going to live by those lies. You're exactly right. If I have information uh, about something that could cause physical harm, I'm going to tell other people uh, that information. That's love. It's not to repeat a lie. Keep going, though. Yeah. Yeah, no. And, and so so part in, in order to do this, we have to be able to di distinguish truth from falsity in our world and the world around us. And we have to be able to say to believers in a time where, you know, people think like the news media is like going to the library, like they're all just truth representatives, yeah. like representatives. And they have a financial interest to talk about the most chaotic, insane stuff that happens. So you watch their channel and you, you know, the advertisers get paid more dollars and all that kind of stuff. They're not representing the truth to you. And so, you know, if we have, I love Revelation 21, it says it's talking about heaven and the gates of heaven and the gigantic walls around heaven and heaven has a wall and all those are biblical principles. And it says, and these things aren't allowed in heaven. And one of the things it says is things that defile and crude and gross and sinful stuff. And then at the end of the list, it says, and anything untrue is not allowed to enter heaven. Why? Because you cannot place biblical morality on top of untruth. It just doesn't work that way. You have to have truth to apply biblical morality to to get the right answer to the equation. So, for instance, if there was a, if there was Tylenol, and if everyone took a, some Tylenol and was like, take this this one Tylenol capsule, and all of the zombies will stop, you know, proliferating zombies immediately, and it actually was true and it actually worked. Well, of course, we would have a moral obligation to engage in that practice, right? But it's not that clear and it's not that simple it's un unbelievably complicated and there's experimental vaccines and some of them are working for some people and some of the people are having negative you know responses in their body and there's all kinds of chaos happening and so to, to say listen throw out your rational faculty that was given to you by god and do whatever the state tells you to do is a really bad idea and it doesn't just i mean i was thinking uh, ryan about second corinthians chapter four and paul says that the devil is the god of this current world and he's blinded the eyes of the unbelievers and there's there's an epistemological uh, effect in that language and that's we have been given you know our, our rationality by god we've been given our sensory ability by god we've been given you know his word and those kind of three legs of the stool allow us to, to build truth upon but in in the world system it's like you listen to what the news says and that's the end of the story but we believe that there's a god of this world and that god of the world is the devil we believe that the, he's known as the father of lies so it's appropriate for christians to be skeptical of secular institutions because often they end in mass death like the taliban or like North Korea or like, you know, all of these other historical examples. And so we're supposed to be skeptical because we have a commitment to truth. You know, I'm so glad you mentioned epistemology in reference to 2 Corinthians 4.4 because I had never thought about it in just in terms of understanding propositional truth as well. I mean, just it's a spiritual blindness, let's be clear. But at the same time, um, people are completely irrational because of spiritual blindness. So 2 Corinthians 4.4, this is my paraphrase, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light 
of the gospel, which is the glory of Christ. And so he talks about that, you know, kind of going on, building his argument, again, second letter to the Corinthian church. But epistemologically, uh, we can't see sometimes reality, not just claims about the gospel, but just reality in general uh, because of spiritual blindness. And uh, Satan is the father of lies, so he likes to throw shade on just about everything, start questioning God, and then allow human beings to have this kind of autonomy to define reality for themselves. That's the current crisis, right? Um, it starts with, hath God said, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. And then, and then you fast forward, and you've got Frederick Nietzsche and Time magazine saying God is now dead, right? So, but there's all these things that go in between. In this current age, Christians do not need to be naive, be wise as yeah, the serpent yeah. and yet innocent as yeah. the dove. You, need, you know, it's funny yeah. about, about that Nietzsche in his original book where he pens this, this you know, the story. Um, he, the, the, the title of the book is called The Gay or the Happy Pursuit of Knowledge. Ah. And it's the pursuit of knowledge and the establishment of the pursuit of secular knowledge, the establishment of secular knowledge above God, the death of God, you know, subjugated to knowledge. It is literally a parallel of Genesis chapter three and the fall of man, this pursuit of knowledge and subjugating God and who he is, throwing him down from the judgment seat. And and so, you know, you really articulated well, Ryan, we're not telling people to be anti-vax. We're telling them that it's appropriate as believers to be secular of, or to be, to be skeptical of secular systems and walk with and trust in your rationality. I mean, God gave us faculties that are not just not just rational but perceptive faculties like you know when jacob is walking through the desert and he falls over the rock and he has a dream you know we don't wake up and say the dream wasn't real don't trust your don't trust any of your you know your sense your senses we don't we don't say that we actually say you're made in the image and likeness of god so we have a general trust in our experience and our sensory experience now obviously it's subject right. to god's word but it doesn't mean we throw it out we still utilize yeah. it in our daily life. And in order for me to love my neighbor, I have to be able to do Absolutely. That. Final question, because I want to get to this. Uh, viral TikTok video just went out the uh, past couple of days. You saw this, I think. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. um, it, 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 it's a video in which somebody who um, has clearly had hormone therapy, um, uh, you know, it's bearded, uh, clearly female, uh, but is saying that Jesus is non- binary okay this is insane You're right one if you espouse to the idea that jesus was born of a virgin birth then jesus could not have had male chromosomes therefore jesus had only female chromosomes and presented as masculine so jesus was non-binary and in terms of male and female and the hebrew the word that was used for and describes a spectrum male and female and everything in between Man and woman is a biological concept. Science currently identifies 13 combinations and permutations of XY chromosomes. Masculine and feminine is a sociological construct that is dependent upon the society with which you are talking about. Uh, just your response as a pastor knowing scripture and then speaking truth and rationality to this utter moronic, uh, immoral insanity. Yeah, I would say, first of all, Ryan, it's hard to respond to a fool in his or her folly because 
they, they, they don't respond rational. We've just been talking about rationality. They don't respond rationally. So to say, okay, his argument essentially is because Mary is a female and God doesn't have an XY chromosome, he can't pass it on to, he, it's impossible for him to pass it on to Mary. Therefore, God, Jesus was not a man because he didn't have the chromosomes. Well, I mean, it's the, the irrationality of the argument is that Mary with the egg, it just kind of turned into a Jesus. Like the idea is that the Holy Spirit created by a miraculous act this seed of God that certainly had the genetic information for Jesus to have fingers and toes and an eyeball, eyeballs. He wasn't like, it wasn't like, oh, you're missing half of your genetic information so you can't be a human being. The idea is that God supplies everything that's in the seed of man but it comes from his divine perspective so it's not tainted by sin then it unifies with mary and it becomes this you know joining of flesh and divinity of which most theologians don't even know how to explain because we say god is fully man and god is fully god and jesus was fully man and jesus at the same time was fully god so to try to take a, a you know a um scalpel from a perspective of someone who believes that gender um, can be anything you want it to be at any moment independent of your biology is irrationality on top of irrationality and so um, obviously Jesus calls you know first Peter says the man Christ Jesus everybody responded to him as a man you, you had, you know, Ryan, you mentioned that you had to be circumcised, and it mentions in the book of Luke that Jesus was circumcised. Yeah. Um, you obviously can't circumcise someone who is non-binary, whatever, right. whatever. Right, that's right. You know, whatever that 0.0001% hematite right. disease that seems to be at the top of every argument as related to this issue, that's a disease, that's a deformation um, that wasn't present when the seed of God came into union with the egg that that was in Mary. And so the whole argument is, is a, it's a hodgepodge of irrationality as, you know, seen through our current uh, biological, I, I don't even want to call it a construct because it's not even, there's, it's amorphous right now. People don't even know how to assign these, uh, these words and roles. And because we're in a postmodernist um, uh, construct is related to gender studies, people don't even know what to say. So they throw out these ideas. And I will say, when I watch the video, my heart breaks for, I assume it's a lady that's on a lot of gene and hormone therapy. My heart breaks for her because, um, you know, she's desperately attempting to grab onto some kind of identity that means something. And we know transgender people that undergo surgery and transition, their rate of suicide increases exponentially. I, a lot of Christians don't know this, but the trans, you know, the transgender issue, I think the rate increase was something like 10,000 times in um, or 10,000 percent in our high schools in the last three years. And so this is an issue that Christians need to we need to have truth as related to. But we also need to have broken hearts to see the image of God. So so molested by by the evil one and have a heart to say, God, please, can you restore even the most broken places in our country and, and restore the most broken people so they would be living in beauty and peace and redemption. That's right. So that's kind of my, that's and my the, those are my And the, I would just say that that rate of increase of 10,000%, that, that is clearly pointing, it's indicative of uh, indoctrination, of, of yeah, propagandizing, proselytizing the it next is. generation. 
a, a, a person's yeah. uh, frontal lobe is not fully developed to the age of 25, right. you're, you're, the mm -hmm. most critical decisions uh, concerning your body and your future cannot be determined at the age of eight years old, nine years old, 10 years old. Uh, so when you think about mental health, um, mental health is not something that you're just born with. Sometimes you're making decisions that will actually uh, put you in a, di a, di a direction that you're gonna have a higher anxiety, fear, depression, and all that because of choices that you're making, choices that you should never have been put in the position to make in the first place. Uh, so I 100% agree with what's happening. Um, you know, uh, finally, I just want, as we wrap up, uh, Pastor, how can we find you? What, what's next on the horizon for you? Sermons, uh, things that you're doing? You yeah. got a book coming out, too. We got all kinds too. of stuff. I got a book coming out. Um, it's with the last round of the editor right now called, called Good Kills, and, and hopefully you'll have me on when that's, you'll have me on. You'll yes. Me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's um, right. I have a show that's starting in October. Um, um, Lucid News, read lucid.com is the website. And then our web, and then our kingschurchkcnyc.org. If you're in the New York City area, we'd love for you to visit. And um, if you're a Reformed Baptist, we'd love for you to visit my friend Andy Woodard's church. <laughs> nice. PBC Providence. in New York yeah. City. Because they're, yeah, they're amazing. I love them and God's using them in a really cool awesome. way. Awesome. Well, I'm a Reformed Baptist. I'll see you both. Uh, that's, that's what I'll yeah. do. Hey, uh, we're looking yeah. forward to this coming weekend, March for the Martyrs. And of course, in November, our Student Leadership Summit here on campus, uh, um, uh, Freedom Uncensored, Uncommon Courage in Unvirtuous Times. You're going to be speaking at that. I'm super excited and thrilled to have you. So we're looking forward to yeah, it. It's going to be great. All right. It's going to be awesome. Well, blessings, brother. Thank you so much, Thanks, Pastor Ryan. David, the one and only. Yeah, appreciate it, man. See ya.